0: Good morning. Um, as Derek said, I'm Sarah. Um, I've been here a few decades, um, and um, so I'm part of part of the furniture, um, and also part of the extended leadership team here. Um, the songs we've sung this morning—you know, God is running after us. God is good. Remember that as we look at Hagar this morning. Um, Now, many of you may go, Hagar, who's that? (laughs) Um, She's in the Old Testament, and we're going to read a bit from Genesis in a minute. The trouble is that the story of Hagar as Abram and Sarai's slave is a really tricky passage. And actually, it's often been really badly taught, or it's just been completely ignored Or Hagar herself has been ignored. The passage has been taught, stuff's been talked about it, and Hagar herself has been ignored. So this morning, I'm actually going to look at it and look at her. The thing is, this kind of passage can sometimes make people feel really vulnerable. Um, And the thing is, I'm going to say at the beginning, if that does affect you, then actually pray with somebody get proper help and support and we can signpost you to proper help and support it's not an easy passage and I'm saying that right from the get go because it's not you know I don't want people to suddenly go oh I didn't, didn't realise what was coming up another reason I think that sometimes these passages are not really looked at is because we don't like saying negative things about our heroes of faith Steve spoke last week about Abraham and you know how we see him as a big hero of faith this is one of his big failings this passage and we need to own that and say it out loud the bible is honest enough to show us these things we need to be honest enough to look at them too another thing i'd like to say is that actually we do need to remember the cultural context of this passage we do have to accept that some things were done differently that some things that we would look at and go that is absolutely horrific and it is actually was also part of culture at the time. And we we have to kind of go, okay, I don't like it, but it is why it's there. Um, and we have to learn from that. And we have to learn actually what is the thing that is true about God from this passage yesterday, today and forever. Because we still worship the same God. Um, you know, and God had a heart 4,000 years ago, when this story happened, for the last, the lost, and the least, and he still does today. So, we're going to look at Genesis 16, um, verses 1 to 15, but I am going to break it up a couple of times. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So, she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Okay, all kinds of culturally wrong stuff in our culture going on in that bit. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. In the Old Testament, in fact, and often today in many cultures, people's names say an awful lot. And Abram means exalted father. He wanted to be a father. He felt he was promised it. I would say this is not behaving like an exalted father. Sarai is a princess, a woman of strength. She's not using that strength for her for anybody's benefit at this point other than her own Hagar means forsaken she's the slave she's forsaken she's lost she is vulnerable she's ignored she's invisible the thing is that isn't even an Egyptian name that's a Hebrew name We don't actually even know what her name was when she was a child. We don't know what her family had called her before she landed up in slavery. She really is in an awful place. She was vulnerable. She was a runaway slave. Now, she was displaced. She's female. And in that society, that left her with zero power with zero say-so, being a woman on your own 4,000 years ago in the Middle East, or anywhere, to be honest, was an incredibly vulnerable place to be. Not only that, she was a pregnant female, making her more vulnerable in a time of high infant and maternal mortality. She wasn't pregnant by choice. She wasn't pregnant out of love. She was abused and she was invisible and that is where we find her at this point the thing is that there are going to be people here that are actually feeling some of those things this morning or our next door neighbours or the people down the street or the people we're working with are going to be feeling like Hagar this morning. Um, We all come into contact with people that feel like this at times. Many people feel invisible. and feel like nobody sees them. They don't fit in anywhere. And the thing is, there are likely to be lots of us that are either feeling invisible or have felt invisible or powerless at some point in time, either recently or now. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you a sort of big, happy, this is how it goes at this precise moment. But I think what is so beautiful about this is that we then see the angel of the Lord came to Hagar. And in the Old Testament, particularly in this particular part of the Bible, when it says the angel of the Lord, it means God. God came to Hagar. Okay? So, continuing on, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much they'll be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She, Hagar, gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beelahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Beirud. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son that she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is where we start to see some hope. This is where we start to see something good for Hagar. In her book, um, The Bible Doesn't tell, her, tell Me So, Helen Painter, who works at Bristol Baptist College, says about stories in the bible that we do see some stories completely outside the culture of the time that it was written that actually you get you know strong women women that are given opportunity women that are leading but and she was actually talking about a slightly different passage but she was also including this bit in it if the narrative is to be truthful it must also portray the darker side of women's experience. If we did not find that side portrayed, we would rightly be indignant that women's suffering was so irrelevant to the authors, they didn't bother to record it. And I think that really is important. When we read these bits of people's suffering, when we read these bits in the Bible and we go, but that's awful. We have to remember that God put them Put those stories in there to show he cares about us when those terrible things happen. He hasn't whitewashed them out of his word. He hasn't ignored them. And we can turn around and, like Hagar say, God is the God who sees me. And in the same book... Helen also talks of the amazing beauty, just of the fact that the god of Hagar's master and mistress this wasn't Hagar's god she was Egyptian, probably she still would have had Egyptian gods in her head the god of her master and mistress cared enough to find her to speak to her, despite all that society told her about how worthless she was about how useless she was God cares enough and he's put it in the bible so that we can actually say when i feel like that god cares enough to come and find me god sees me i do want to say that verse nine which is where the angel tells her to go back has been used to oppress has been used to send people back into dangerous and oppressive situations that verse was never ever meant to be used like that and if it has been used to you or to someone you know it's not what the bible is saying it's not saying go back into an abusive situation that is not a line or a verse that was even for hagar through her whole life never mind for us four thousand years later you know We don't understand, I think, sometimes, what was going on at the time. She was pregnant. Like I said, she was really vulnerable. She was in a desert. It was cold at night. It was hot in the day. It was dangerous. It was dry. Wild animals. I don't know why going back was actually the best option, but it seems that it was at that particular moment in time. And she stayed another 14 to 17 years depending on what age Isaac was when he was weaned. Um, So I think we have to remember that. So please never turn around to someone and say, go back into a situation because it says it in Genesis 16, verse 9. That is not what that verse means. And I know that's an aside, but I know it has been used, and it's, it's awful. It should never be used like that. So, coming to the nicest. In the desert, Hagar meets God. God asks her questions. He has seen her, he knows where she's come from, but he still asks her questions. He actually gives her space to process, to actually say out loud, This is this is why I am in this place. He gives her a voice. People that are voiceless, people that are vulnerable, people that feel invisible, they need space to be given a voice. And God loved her enough to give her that space. He asks, where have you come from? Where are you going? She had no idea where she was going. She answers saying where I've come from, but she doesn't say where she's going. And we have to remember that to her, even the desert felt a better place than staying with Abraham and Sarai at that particular moment. For whatever reason, it obviously wasn't the better place, but that's how she was feeling. And vulnerable and invisible-feeling people sometimes feel that actually, I've just got to get away. Even the desert is a better place. Even an inflatable boat on the channel is a better place. Even being alone in a a squalid house or flat is better than where I've come from. Other people just feel, I can't face that, so I'm going to stay in this situation and feel vulnerable and lonely and worthless. And actually, God gives people space to say these things. Do we give people space or do we jump in with answers, so-called? Um, the next thing is that God makes promises to her. I will increase your descendants so much, they will be too numerous to count, verse 10. This is actually the same promise he's given to Abraham. You know, we see him as being the great patriarch, but actually God is saying, I care about you and I see you as important as Abraham, in the sense that I'm going to make you a great matriarch that is beyond anything she could have expected this is lifting her from the lowest of low places to say I think you're important I think you've got a future and then God names her child Ishmael and Ishmael means God will hear And later on, when Ishmael is in distress later in his life, um, when he was, again, probably about 14 to 17 years old, um, God actually hears Ishmael in his distress, and he comes and he saves his life. We also see that God names Sarah's son. You know, there's, there's a link here. He's treating Hagar in the same way that he's treating Abraham and sarai they weren't part of she wasn't part of his covenant promises but personally he treated her the same god shows her compassion and shows that she is significant to him she then names him the god who sees and i love this picture um I found this on the internet. It's not a great quality picture, but it actually says, Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. And we've got here a woman who effectively is feeling invisible. like Nobody's seeing her. And actually God says, no, I see you. I can see you anyway. Even though that what you're feeling on the inside is that you're not worth anything, that you're invisible. God says, I see you. And... Even the well was called the well of the living one who sees me. Beelahairoi. You know, God, it all ties up. And that well was then there by the time this was written. And that means that people kept looking at that going, oh, that's the well of the living one who sees me. The reminder was there. They draw water from that well of the living one who sees me she is the only one in the bible that is recorded as actually giving god a name and this was the name that she gave him she realized now that god sees her that she is seen that she had been seen in her time of slavery she'd been seen in her forced marriage she'd been seen in her unwanted pregnancy and her vulnerability her weakness her oppression by a god who wasn't even the god of her home country She realized that God saw her even when absolutely everybody else ignored her. God sees each one of us even when everybody else ignores us, even when we feel as vulnerable as Hagar or anywhere in between. You don't have to be feeling that bad for God to see you. God saw her as a person, not as property not as a means of getting something that somebody else wanted god sees you he loves you he cares that is still true today you know we still see jesus doing this in the new testament in john 1 nathaniel was surprised when jesus talked to him and jesus says i saw you while you were still under the fig tree i saw you He comes to the woman at the well in John 4 and tells her everything that she had ever done, is what she says. She knew she'd been seen. She knew that God saw her. She knew that she was cared for and loved. And that changed not only her life, but the life of the others in the area as well, when they came and they met Jesus as well, because Jesus had proved that he saw her. god is the same yesterday today and forever god still sees us today um he sees us he sees the vulnerable the broken the abused the lonely the isolated the invisible the weak the oppressed and i haven't swallowed a thesaurus he loves all of those people he loves each one of us He sees and loves those who are fleeing from situations so bad that even the desert seems better. Anywhere is better than where they've been. He sees those that are feeling stuck in situations because they don't want to land up in whatever their desert would be. Nathaniel doesn't appear to have been a particularly vulnerable person, but Jesus saw him too. God sees us when we're not feeling vulnerable. And I know this is about Hagar, and it is about feeling—you know those that are feeling vulnerable, but actually God st- still sees those that are not feeling vulnerable too. The woman at the well, Jesus saw. And she was a victim of society's norms, you could say. <laughs> what society told her. Another thing I think we need to remember is that God sees how the rich, the powerful, and the secure treat those who are vulnerable, poor and powerless? He never condoned Abraham and Sarah's behaviour. He saw it and he showed Hagar that he saw her and loved her. How do we treat those who are vulnerable? Do we treat them nicely until it doesn't suit us? Or do we like to be, you know, if it's not convenient, I won't, won't deal with that. Do we magnify the voices of the voiceless? Or do we silence them? How do we treat the people that God loves? And do we cause people to run because being anywhere else is better than being near us? They're big questions, and I'm not going to give any answers because I think that's something that each of us needs to, to answer for ourselves. Um... You know, do we show show the people that God sees them, that anyone sees them? You know, Esther earlier mentioned pastoral care. You know, and actually while I was preparing this this week, um, Chris came home and he said that um, he'd seen a friend of ours um, being taken into a hospital in an ambulance. He couldn't actually see her. She was already in the ambulance. Um, And just what's going to happen there. She hasn't got any family locally. She's vulnerable, physically and emotionally. Um, And we know that to her, her dog is pretty much the most important thing there is. That is her companion. That is, you know, this is important to her. And Chris said, I think I'm just going to go up to Southmead and see if I can just check that the the dog's okay and he did and actually the dog walker had had got the dog so that was fine but what that means is that that person knows that not only saw her being taken away, vulnerable, sick but actually knew her well enough to say you're going to be worried about your dog and actually the paramedic thanked Chris because they're aware of actually how vulnerable people are and how alone people can feel. And Chris, when he came back and he said, Oh, this is the situation, he like, said, Actually, that's, that's what God's asking us to do. Not go and find every ambulance and chase it, and <laughs> but to actually look around and go, Do I know people well enough to know what bothers them? What is going to really stress them? Do I care enough? To go up to Southmead in the middle of rush hour tea time on a Friday you know all of those sorts of things to put yourself out now that's not the kind of thing you can plan for but actually are we in a place where we see people enough that that even comes to our mind it didn't come to my mind when he came home and said she was in the ambulance what's gone on with the dog but it came to Chris's mind tell i'm not a dog person can't you um but i think actually letting people know that people are seen and that they are important to us is so very vital because society is fairly fragmented but also god very rarely turns up as an angel these days to speak to people because he has his body here on earth to do that, and like it or not, as the church, we are his body we are called to show people that God sees them that God is still the God who sees those who feel invisible those who feel they have no voice so you know I' ask the questions I often get asked lots of questions and don't give many answers I'm afraid so who can you show god's love to by showing the things that he sees the things that bother them it's not a one-off it takes time it takes energy and what can you do personally to remind yourself that god sees you some people draw pictures as you can tell from the fact that i've pinched something off the internet i don't draw i look up on the internet and you can find some real rubbish stuff on there, but you can also find some stuff and you go, yeah, that, that says it to me, that reminds me that even when I feel empty inside, even when I feel like people can see straight through me, that actually God still sees me. Um, what is your way of reminding yourself? So do pray with somebody this morning. If you feel like Hagar, if you're feeling a bit helpless, unseen, lost it doesn't matter how strong people think you are we all feel like this at times and we all need that reminder that God sees us and that God loves us so do pray with people there'll be someone at the back other people you know around so I'm going to finish by praying but I'm hoping that we're all going to finish by praying together um, I'm going to ask us all in a minute to just stand and we'll have a, a minute or so to just read this through and actually think You know, what is your way of reminding yourself that God can see you that God does see you he cares enough to see you um, and then I'd like us all to pray this together and I thought I'll put it up on the screen because it sometimes bothers me if I, I'm asked to pray stuff and I can't see it until it's up on the screen so it's there to to read through beforehand and then the worship team will come and we'll um, pray so if you'd like to stand then please stand with me as I say I'll just give a, a short time just to read and pray and then we'll pray this together so let's pray together Lord we pray for those who feel invisible may they know that you see them for those who feel vulnerable May they know that you see them. For those who are alone, may you know that you see them. May they know that they are loved and you are with them, even when they may not feel you there. Please give us eyes to see people truly. May we all know that you are with us and that you love us. Lord, we pray for those who have power, stability and a voice that they may know you see them. Help them to demonstrate your all-encompassing love to those who are around. Amen.